Before we uh, move into Revelation 6, I do want to make sure that we feel good about chapters 4 and 5, particularly chapter 5. If we have a good handle on 5, I think we're going to be in for a little bit smoother sailing and and all of that. Uh, So tell me what we have happening in chapter 5, and then as we discuss that, this will be your opportunity to ask any uh, questions about what all these things mean. Revelation 5, what's the scene? Uh, we've, we've, we've got a cry in the throne room that is what? Who's worthy to open the scroll and to loosen its seals? Is at the beginning, does it seem that anybody can do this? Joe Schmo guy can just walk up and open the scroll? No. Uh, only, uh, the, the, la- the lion of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. Uh, it's not the scope of our, of our study, but I think it's useful to keep in mind when you have statements like this, uh, worthy to, uh, oh, that's not it over here, Dathan. Dathan. There you go. Uh, when you have statements about who's worthy to open it, that the idea of Jesus coming and giving his life has a far greater significance and uh, in its concept besides, well, we needed somebody to just come and die. You know, why doesn't Jesus just come live a long life, die peacefully in his sleep at a ripe old age of you know, well, I guess back then 50 would have been kind of the ripe old age then. <laughs> you, would have, you were lucky to get out of your 30s and 20s <laughs> in that age. Uh, obviously, there has to be something more. The cross has a significance being worthy of, of the sacrifices. It So you see that being taught here in chapter 5. Who's worthy? Well, he is the only one who was worthy to open the scroll. Now, what we spent a lot of time on last last week that I think is of the utmost importance is where is the scroll seen before in the scriptures? Daniel. Daniel. In Daniel, the, the book of Daniel ends with a scroll or a book, depending on your translations, the same idea, that Daniel wants to know what is the meaning of the visions that he's seen. He's told in Daniel 12 in verse 4, as well as in Daniel 12 in verse 9, twice, seal up the scroll until the time of the end. It's not going to be revealed to you, Daniel. You go your way. These things are going to be revealed later. Daniel uses the phrase time of the end. I would uh, put that in synonymous terms as the latter days, the last days, messianic days, that when when Messiah comes, we're going to have an unveiling. We're going to have an answer to those things. The other thing that I put before you is what were some of the things that were in Daniel's visions that when you come to the first century have not been fulfilled that God had told Daniel had to happen. Okay, there's remember one of the big things is you have this either if you're in Daniel 2, this fourth empire, or if you're in Daniel 7, this fourth terrifying beast, it needs to be judged. It is going to shatter the power of the holy people. It's causing persecution on the people. And so Daniel's visions, many of them, Daniel 2, 
Daniel 7, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, all talk about how that fourth empire, which once you got to the first century, you were able to count off, okay, Roman Empire, had to be judged. It has to be destroyed. Also in that, you have descriptions of the shattering of the power of the holy people. There was going to be a destruction upon the Jewish nation, a destruction upon Jerusalem. You see that in Daniel 7. You also see that in Daniel 9. If you were ever wanting a concise idea of that, I think Daniel 9 is the concise one, the vision of 70 weeks, though that's often considered complicated. We walked through it pretty quickly where you have the coming of the anointed one who makes a covenant and he's cut off. And then it says that he's going to destroy city and sanctuary. So there's destruction of Jerusalem. And then the very line after that in verse 27 and is that then a, a desolation is decreed upon the desolator, the one who had destroyed Jerusalem, the Roman Empire. So the book of Daniel has those two events that haven't happened yet when you get into the first century. And now we have in Revelation 5, here is the scroll, and its contents surround judgment of wicked nations. So that has been I think, the big thing I wanted to put forward to you. So before we go into chapter 6, does that make sense? Are there questions about that? Not understanding that, because I, I think that is an, a very important key, that if you see that the scroll of Daniel is the same scroll, and when we get to Revelation 10, I'm going to show you, it's also the same angel performing the same acts and saying the same words, so our connection points are found in Revelation. If we see that same scroll, then we should be looking at the same contents of, of, of that scroll, of the events that Daniel talked about, the book of Revelation, then uh, further explaining. Charlotte? Uh, well, we know the destruction of the temple and, well, with the AD 70. So are, are we putting this non-AD 70? Uh, are we? <laughs> We're going to let the text tell us. So one of the things we did at the beginning of the book is I said, we're not going to to start the study and go, here's the date of the book. And we're going to let the the book itself tell us when it was written. We do that with all of the other books. It's it's fascinating to me that for whatever reason, Revelation, we, we go opposite and go, let me figure out when it was written. Then we'll interpret it that way. Like, why do you know that Second Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote? It, it, yeah, it's not because we have a bunch of people writing letters and saying, yeah, and Paul wrote Second Timothy last. We, we don't have that. You have the internal evidence indicating this is the end of the line. I've run the race. I've finished the course. So you know this is the last one. We use what's inside those letters to give us a sense of where they're placed and, and, and what, what their time frame is. We use the book of Acts as also to help us slot when those books would happen. So all I said to us is let's let the book of Revelation tell us. So we aren't drawing any conclusions yet. But I do think we have to consider that since we have Daniel's scroll, we know that there were at least two things that when you're standing in the first century – had to be dealt with. Now, if we were on the other side of the destruction of Jerusalem or in front of it, we'll worry about that as we go through the book, and, and, and you can draw your conclusions on that. Debbie? I did find, and I'm not looking at it at the moment, 
Yes, and it is also full of judgments, right? Yeah, it, it has that that picture of uh, God's judgments and messages have come to the full level and now need to to be revealed. And so with Ezekiel, it's full of judgments and woes and things like that. And we're preparing for that now in the book of Revelation, that this scroll is not going to say everything is going well. It's going to say judgments are coming. That's that's what we're expecting this, this scroll to do. Other questions, concerns, confusion about chapter 5, about the scroll, about its contents, its connections to Daniel. We did all that legwork last week, and I want to make sure you've had seven days to marinate on it. Anything that you want to bring up, or you're saying good to go. If you passed me a test, I could fill it out and ace it with no problem whatsoever. I am now a revelation scholar through the first five chapters. All right, yeah, I know. okay. I kept pushing it higher and higher. Huh? Okay, well... We will make these kinds of connections with this scroll throughout this because we're going to see this idea with this angel and these actions in these next five chapters. But that's set forward. Okay, let's read the beginnings of chapter six, and then we'll talk about some of, again, the historical and scriptural reference points that this imagery is coming from. This is one of these passages where people really jump out the window. Here is your four horsemen of the apocalypse. And of course, uh, I, I did bring my book today because we got some good stuff. <laughs> We've got to read about what that means. Uh, and then we will look at, well, what do the scriptures point at with that? All right, Revelation uh, chapter 6. Uh, I'm just going to read the first eight verses. I I think we'll be hardly lucky to get that far. All right. Revelation 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal... I heard a second living creature say, come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. And then when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. All right. So before we start driving into what does this mean, we need to start looking back. These were used before and to get a sense of how these symbols were used before is going to help us get a feel of what's going on as these these seals are being opened and we're seeing these figures again. Where have we seen these four horses with these colors before in the scriptures? 
Zechariah. In fact, two places in Zechariah you see them. You see them in Zechariah 1, and you see them in Zechariah 6. Uh, you might remember, and again, you know, one of the hard things about doing a study of Revelation like this is, so what I want to do with you is study Zechariah 1, so that you can, but if we, if we do that, we will be in Revelation for a really, really long time. So I'm going to summarize some things. I do not want you to take that at face value because I'm summarizing it to you. I would really like for you to go back and read it for yourself and, and, and see the, these figures. It wasn't that long ago. Was it 22 maybe? I preached through Zechariah like one or two years ago. Whenever it was on the more recent side. And if you remember about the message of Zechariah is that in Zechariah 1, you see these riders and these horses come out. And they are described as patrolling through all of the earth. And as they patrol through all the earth, they essentially seem to come back and give a report. And the report is the whole earth is at peace. And that wasn't a good message. You would think that the world at peace is a good message. Oh, great. Everything's at peace. That's the way we often think about things. But that wasn't how it was to them because they are wanting these persecutors and world empires to be judged. When you remember Haggai and Zechariah are preaching to the people who have returned out of captivity but they're not building the temple. Why are they not building the temple? Persia has stopped them. Remember, the opposition in the land has sent letters back to Persia. Persia has then informed and said, shut down the temple work. And they stopped the temple work. Haggai and Zechariah are the two prophets that come to the land and say, what are you doing? It's a fine time for you to be living in your paneled houses and enjoying your comforts and ease. And the house of the Lord remains desolate. Get to work. Rebuild the temple. Haggai does it in preaching sermons like that. Zechariah does it in vision form and says, I'm showing you visions of future glory. Get to work and you will see God do great things and fulfill his promises when this temple is restored and when God brings about his covenant promises. And so the message of there being peace is not what the people wanted to hear. We want judgment on Persia. We want God to do something about, about them because they're keeping us from doing the work. And as you move through the book of Zechariah, you have God giving a message of, I'm going to deal with that. You have like in chapter four, go ahead and, and, and rebuild that temple. And then God is going to be with you, not by might, or by, but by my spirit, this is going to be accomplished. God is going to make this temple happen. So seeing these, these horsemen and understanding that what they do is they go through the earth and when things are at peace, that means judgments aren't happening. Well, when they come out in Revelation 6, do they roll out and go, yep, everything's calm, we're chill. What do you see them having and doing? Judgments, right? We're seeing swords and death and famine. We've got pestilence. We've got all sorts of terrible things being described. So what you have there is not some, well... All right. I gotta never see this, right? All right. 
So first seal, this, by the way, if you don't know what I'm grabbing, uh, if you heard of the Left Behind series, very popular, Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins, they wrote a series of books about 20 years ago that were pretty much the standard for Revelation, the premillennial point of view. This is Tim LaHaye's commentary on Revelation. So rather than reading the novels, I just went to the, here's what he says these things mean. And the first one is referring uh, to the Antichrist who's going to come into the future. And because of the, the, the uselessness of the United Nations and the international hysteria of nuclear warfare, there is a phobia in the minds of the people who will never be satisfied until they have a one world government. I won't read all these paragraphs, but the first seal is, they say, is this Antichrist. And then what the Antichrist is going to do in all likelihood, this could be accomplished, this diplomacy and, and, and seeming peace could be accomplished if Russia and her cohorts were out of the way. Ezekiel 38 and 39 tell us Russia will conceive of the idea of conquering Israel just at the moment and when she is prepared to do so, God will supernaturally destroy Russia. And in the wake of this destruction, the Antichrist could very well offer peace to the entire world and will, in order to avoid the further wars between nations. When will Russia be destroyed? It's impossible to be dogmatic in the answering of this question. He's going to go on and talk about all the things about Russia. <laughs> so if you're sitting in the first century and you're reading this, that a natural explanation that they would have had when they read these images that clearly we are talking about something more than 2,000 years in advance. I mean, it, it, it's, it's stunning to me that this is a popular point of view, but we've talked about this many times, is that there's such a desire to make everything in Revelation skip all prior generations, and it must refer to us right here and now, and what we're doing in America and Russia and the United Nations and da 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 and there, we, we talked about there's such a danger of every generation rising up and going, oh, what I see going on in the world must be revelation, or what I see going on in the world is revelation. And everybody's done that for such a long time. And so we've talked about what would this sound like and look like in their ears and in their heads. One, two, take your mind back to the first three verses of Revelation 1. When are these events supposed to happen? How long? Things that must soon take place because the time is 2,000 years from now. No, near. First three of chapter one says the time is near. So we cannot start layering on this thousands and thousands of years. If you remember in that first class, I asked, so how long is it too long to say that it's near and short? And I think we all agreed that 2,000 years is definitely not near and definitely not short. <laughs> so we can't have an explanation that works that way. It has to be near and short to this audience. It has to mean something to them that Jesus said those words as the book was, was introduced. Frank? And in Daniel, when uh, Daniel was told what this meant, he says, it's not going to happen around the corner. You don't need to know it. Right. It doesn't apply. It's irrelevant to you. And Good. that's one of the reasons why it was silent for so Good. long Absolutely. Please think about the imagery of the scroll. The scroll was sealed in the days of Daniel because of what? 
What about the timing of it? Was it going to be soon? No. The reason the scroll could be sealed up is because it was going to be a long time. Daniel's in, in the six to 500 range of his prophecies B.C. It's going to be hundreds of years, Daniel, time of the end. You can't now come to the book of Revelation and open the scroll and make it even longer than what it was for Daniel to get to the, the, the first century. It doesn't make any sense. The scroll is being opened because now is the fulfillment. The scroll is not being opened to say, well, guess what? It's going to be even longer <laughs> than it even was for Daniel. The sealed scroll meant long time. Open scroll means here it is. It's, it's time. The information that's being given here is of the utmost importance and relevance. Okay. Questions about that before we start breaking into what these symbols look like and why we would be using these pictures of judgment. Just in general about the four horsemen before pictured as patrolling the earth. And peace means no judgments. Here they're patrolling the earth. There's judgments. They're, they're, they're given the authority to conquer. They're given the authority to slay. They're given the authority to make war. They're given the authority for there to be pestilence, famine, all of that. Everybody's good. Yep, good. I'm just curious. I don't know what can be drawn from it, but the colors of the horses. First of all, I've never seen green horse. No, green or pale, dappled. Some translations dappled. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, obviously symbolism, right? So you have visuals that, that, that are going on. Uh, and the same thing was happening with, with, with Zechariah. And some of them make some sense. When you, when you read uh, verse 3, that the second one is, is, is red, and, and what is described about what's going to happen with the imagery of this red horse? Blood. I mean, it says they're killing people. Uh, when you have uh, the black horse uh, in, in, in verse 5, You'll notice there, there's a picture of a, 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 a loss of food uh, that, that's happening. There is a significant cutting back of, of food supply, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. So uh, we have kind of famine sequencing here. Uh, this dappled pale horse. I love this imagery. This, this one, this, this, this will give you an insight into the weirdness of my mind right here. Because the visual is the rider's name is death and Hades followed behind him. So I just always have this strange picture of, you know, like this glorious horse and the rider on it is death. And then there's like this, this little guy running behind and his name's Hades, you know, and he's following along too. You know, I just have a weird visual of that. It's, it, it's a weird scene to have death and Hades come on the scene. Here they are. And, and of course, the, the visual is, is, is awful is because it says they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill. And I want you to notice what they're able to kill with. This is where we'll spend some time now. Sword, famine, pestilence, wild beasts. That's not insignificant. Yeah, Charlotte? Do you see that in Ezekiel over and over? That's okay. What God says about of Jerusalem, right? It is really interesting that this is actually covenantal judgment in the, the Hebrew scriptures. God made promises against Israel and said, 
if you disobey the covenant, you're going to die by those four things. Let me show you some of them. Go to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus 26. Look at uh, verse 21. Leviticus 26, verse 21. If you act with hostility toward me and are unwilling to obey me, I will multiply your plague seven times for your sins. I will send wild animals against you that will deprive you of your children and ravage your livestock and reduce your numbers until your roads are deserted. If in spite of these things you do not accept my discipline but act with hostility toward me, then I will act with hostility toward you and I will strike you seven times for your sins. I will bring a sword against you to execute the vengeance of the covenant. Though you withdraw in your cities, I will send pestilence among you and you will be delivered into enemy hands. When I cut off a supply of bread, ten women will bake your bread in a single oven and ration out your bread by weight so that you will eat but not be satisfied." Sound a little similar. (laughs) Notice same imagery and notice same loss of prosperity. You're you're going to be in famine. You're not going to have much to eat. You have 10 women cooking in one oven. So obviously there's not a whole lot if we can all share an oven together, right? That's that's bad. Uh, You know, we, we, we want lots of ovens on Thanksgiving, right? So imagine if you could bring in a big old family and all fit it in one oven. You don't have a whole lot cooking. So that's the idea is we've got 10 all cooking in one oven. This is rationed out. We saw pestilence, we saw sword, and we saw wild animals all in in the same thing. Deuteronomy does the same thing over to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. And here is descriptions of of God's judgment. And you'll notice he says like in verse 23, how he's going to pile disasters upon them and use my errors against them. Verse 24, they will be weak from hunger, ravaged by pestilence and bitter plague. And I will unleash on them wild beasts with fangs as well as venomous snakes that slither uh, in in the dust. Notice the same idea. We've got hunger, famine. Pestilence, wild animals, plague, same covenantal promises. Uh, Ezekiel 14. Ezekiel 14. Verse 21. You might remember that Ezekiel is prophesying for the destruction of Jerusalem in Ezekiel's day under the Babylonian Empire. And notice what he says in Ezekiel 14, 21. This is what the Lord God says. How much worse will it be when I send my four devastating judgments against Jerusalem? Sword, famine, dangerous animals, and plague in order to wipe out both people and animals from it. For the sake of time, I won't read the rest of these, but you can do Jeremiah 14, 12. You can do Jeremiah 15, 2 through 4. Lots of places where you have God using this to say, this is my judgment against Jerusalem, that that was covenantal language. When my people disobey, 
These are going to be the things that are going to be used. So I want you to hold that in your mind that it is interesting that you have here in these first four seals with these first four horses imagery that comes from what the Old Testament scriptures prophesied as judgments that would be used against the Jewish nation against Jerusalem, against the temple for their for their disobedience. For me, I do not think that is accidental. I don't think that these four sword and famine and pestilence and wild animals are just accidentally thrown in there. Now, I want you to know he hasn't told us who he's talking about yet, has he? One of the things that's interesting, I think, about the book of Revelation is there is a lot of suspense of how the book builds is that it will talk about here are all these judgments and judgments and judgments. And, and you're constantly asking the question, well, who who is he judging? And he'll finally say so. But he doesn't start with the very first line and go, thus says the Lord against fill in the blank nation or, or, or city. He does the reverse and says, here's what's going to happen. And then he clarifies at the end of all of it. Well, here's who I'm talking about. But I want to kind of give you a little bit of a, an interesting clue here that It is interesting that, as you note in Revelation 6 and verse 8, that the ability that these horses have to bring their judgments, verse 8 says, to kill with sword, famine, pestilence, and wild animals. The very same terminology that God was constantly using against Israel. Yes. Yeah, and also in verse 8, something I always kind of, that always strikes me, and it says, and they were given authority, mm-hmm. and language there, you know, always seems to lend itself to me that God is the one who decided at what point in time exactly. judgment is yeah. going to come forward. That's exactly right. That These are God's judgments being executed. Uh, that God is in full control and has determined now is the time for judgment, which... Makes sense because I don't think we'll get there today, but one of the seals, the very next one, is going to be asking God how long until you're doing something about the persecution that we've had? How long until you avenge the the blood of the saints? How long till you do something for the people of God? And you're already getting a visual that, if I can use Zechariah's language, the horsemen are moving. There's not peace on the earth anymore. God is now rising up and judgment is now going to be executed on behalf of the people of God. God is going to act and do something for them. And these images are starting to reveal that. I have a question. Um, in verse 6, when he talks about, but do not harm the olive oil on the wine, is that just going to be impartial judgment? Or what is he withholding? Good. So you'll notice that. Quite a bit of, uh, of effort in the first section, and when we get to the second section, it will do the same, that you will notice that it, there are often fractions that, that are being given. Like, not only there, verse, the, the third seal was not take out everything, but notice it's a quart for, of wheat for a denarius, a lessening. But there are some of the important things, oil and wine, that are at the moment not going to be touched. When you look at verses 7 and 8, is everyone killed with sword, famine, pestilence, and wild animals? Okay, what's the fraction? Fourth. So there's partials. 
you might, we did a little bit of this in the intro. It, it's, it's, it's ahead of us, but I know if I keep everybody in the dark until we get there, it's, we're all going to be confused. One of the things that you're going to see happen is that these kinds of things are going to unfold. And then somebody's going to come out and say, and yet they did not repent. So you are getting pictures of judgments are beginning with an intention to get the people to wake up and go, we need to repent. And the answer is going to be, but they didn't. And then you're going to read, boom, since they didn't repent, full judgment comes. And that happens twice in the book because you're going to get out to like the, the bowls and it's going to do the same thing. You're going to read fractions. And all the fractions are telling you is it's not a complete judgment yet, but it's intending to get people to repent. And nobody's going to repent. And then you're going to see whoever is being judged fall. And, and that makes perfect sense. That's how, how God operates you. You might remember you have that idea even with Jesus wandering or walking around and telling people it's time to repent. It's time to repent before it's too late. Here's your opportunity. Acts 2, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, you better repent before it's too late because judgment's coming, judgment's coming. Well, that's what Revelation is showing is the opportunity for repentance has gone out. People have had a chance before these nations or peoples are ultimately judged. So... Don't get stuck um, on numbers because we've talked about this book is written in symbols, right? So you aren't supposed to go, okay, so, you know, when in history did I see one third of this or one fourth of that? You know, when did a fourth of the people, this is, these are figures and symbols. I'll remind you back to the, the first class, those first three verses that said this is symbolic language, we're in a vision, we are seeing things. And so you're getting the imagery, take, what's the big takeaway of what's happening, except judgments are happening. And it's intended to get the people to wake up. And what I'm offering to you up to this point is, it's at least interesting that the judgments fit what was told of what would happen to Israel for their disobedience in Leviticus in Deuteronomy in Jeremiah in Ezekiel, that that was the same language of what would happen for covenant unfaithfulness. All right, Kathy. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and, and again, yeah, that, that make, it makes sense that God is saying, okay, now it's time to act. Now it is time for a, a judgment to happen. And, and we have seen that, and, I've, and I asked you early on in our, in our class, in the, at the beginning of the first century, think about the Apostle Paul. Who are the people that are persecuting Christians like Paul? Jews. The Jews are. The, the Jews are. They're the ones that are persecuting Christians left and right. Paul is being dragged out of synagogues and left for dead. You might even remember Jesus told his disciples, you're going to be run out of synagogues and you're going to be put on trial and you're going to be killed for my name. It was just laid out. Here's how it's going to go for you. The, the Jews were a significant problem to Christians in that first century. We also know the Roman Empire became that as well. And so they're going to have to be addressed and dealt with too. And so they must also be in view somehow, some way. Because remember, what did we say Daniel talked about? 
those two entities, right? We got to deal with these people who are harming the people of God. All right. Other questions, concerns, confusions. And I'll remind you, if you think you don't understand and you're the only one, I assure you you're not. Then if you don't get it, I'm sure somebody else doesn't. Okay. So feel free. If something doesn't work here, Vicki. They did. Yeah. So for me, I thought that had something to do with it. Yeah, oil would be probably more tied to the necessities of life back then with your oil for your bread and for your cooking and things like that. So, again, the imagery is not we're taking away everything and you're going to have nothing, but rather it's going to get really bad. You know, like, I don't know that we have a good parallel, but. You know, we did have for like a couple of weeks we, in 2020. Okay, there, you, you literally could not get meat in the store. It was like standing around hoping that you caught the truck in time or toilet paper. or We had a number of different things like that where, okay, it's not like everything's gone, but there are a lot of things that are now gone or hard to get and now are in, in famine status is what that picture is using. So it's trying to say... Not everything's gone that you're, you're, you're going to wither away and die of starvation, but it's going to get hard. Your eggs are going to be 10 bucks. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's trying to communicate. It's not going to be as prosperous as it was. It's now going to be more difficult. It's now going to be hard. You're not going to have those things anymore. The, some of the staples will be there, but not very well, as you see, a quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage, by the way. So imagine working all day, and, and they go, okay, here's your wheat. <laughs> not a lot. Not, not, not a lot, Debbie. I did read, too, that Domitian ordered vineyards destroyed yeah. around that time sure. to increase grain production. Yeah. So it ties in. Yeah. There are a lot of historical events of, of times of famine. You might even remember Jesus said, there's going to be famines and there's going to be sword. There's, he, he talks about there's going to be things that were going to be going on in the near future to them that they would experience. And we read about that. You might remember you have in Acts the problem even of, of food and famine that Christians in other areas of the Roman Empire are sending financial help to the church in Jerusalem because there's a present famine going on. So unfortunately, famine doesn't help us locate a particular time because they had lots of famines that were that were going on. But we do know that that was to represent God's judgment. Sword, pestilence, famine, and wild beast was God saying, that's me. <laughs> that's, that's my judgment. Uh, uh, Charlotte? It does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And that's why some people do see the first horse as referring to Christ. Some see it because it's white. This is why he says antichrist because, well, he looks like he's Christ because he's riding it on the white horse. But obviously he's not Christ because he's got sword and he's causing wars and problems and uh, taking peace from the earth and all, all of that kind, kind of thing. 
I don't think the intent is for us to zero in and go, well, this is referring to this particular individual or this particular event. When you heard those four and those four end on the phrase sword, famine, pestilence and wild beasts, you were supposed to go light bulb. I know what's happening here. God is executing his wrath because that's the phrasing and imagery and terms he uses to execute his his wrath. I think it's interesting, too, that you see the opposite happening when Jesus is in earth. He's curing disease. He's feeding them. He is even in the the temptation scene. He's with the wild beasts. And so you see the opposite when Christ is there than what is happening now in the judgments. Absolutely, absolutely right. Okay, other questions or concerns? Casey? No, I think it's just actually meant animals. Yeah, that, that God would turn the land from being peaceful to turning against them. Now, that's hard for us to understand because we're such a civilized nation and we don't really have, have all of that. But if you can imagine trying to live back then and here you have your city... And if you're having all kinds of animals run, coming up against the, the, the city and ca- causing problems and killing people and harming people, that God was trying to use that and say, rather than there being peace and security, I'm going to allow armies to come against you. I'm going to allow the food supply to go away. I'm going to allow the animals to come against you. I'm going to take all of what we would call mother nature even though he's in charge of it and say i'm going to spin it against you people will be against you food supply will be against you the the rains will be against you the ground will be against you the animals will be against you it won't be prosperous it will be loss that that's the idea so yeah i think you just look at it more like that evan i'm thinking when he uses snakes and exodus to judge them. yeah he lets the snakes loose yes yeah. exactly and, and to a people who are um shepherds and to wolves and other animals are just terrifying uh, signs of depredation. That, they, that they're not organized themselves enough to right. protect themselves. Just imagine, we imagine apocalyptic scene happening to us. Right. We imagine wolves right. and other animals just still roaming. Exactly. That's a good way to visualize it. Is like what what are all these uh, you know dystopian movies kind of show? Is like when when all the walls are down and we've lost all our technology. Who's who's roaming the earth? All the wild animals. They're they're now a problem again. So it's it's, it's, it's that kind of idea. Well, in the first judgment of Jerusalem, that was an issue when they came back. Is that everything had been taken over right. and the animals, wild animals, overran? Overran. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, go ahead. Yeah, authority. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're losing all of that ability now. Exactly right. Uh, because I'm out of time, if you guys have questions, would you write it down on a piece of paper and bring it back to me for next week? Because I just want to show you one thing. I want to, I want to, to put this uh, in, in your shoe for a minute. Um. You have in, in verse 10, and we'll get to this next paragraph next week, but in verse 10 of Revelation 6, you're going to see these people crying out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will you ju- how long before you will judge and avenge our blood of those who dwell on the earth? And the answer is until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. So Christians are under the altar. 
What do they want? Justice, because what has happened to them? So this book is resting on this idea that judgment needs to come because God's people have been killed. And that's why I have kept posing to you who's killing the people of God in the first century. And will be Romans. You're going to both. Both of them are going to be problems. Both of them are going to do that. Which, again, that's why I've kind of tried to link together. Well, what's in Daniel's scroll? Well, those two, two groups. What, who, who are the persecutors? Those two groups. Who, what are they asking for? Anybody who has killed us, God, are you going to do something about that? So you're, you're starting to see those wheels turning. So we'll come back to that next week. But I just want you to be thinking about those ideas. So... Bring your questions for the first uh, eight verses of chapter six for next week. I'll ask you, you know, fire away, marinate on it for seven days with the questions you have. Uh, and then, Lord willing, we'll just keep moving through uh, chapter six. OK, 15 minute break and we'll reconvene at 1030. Thank you, everybody.